Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced and presented by women and gender diverse people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin Nations land and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Priya Kunjan. In today's show, we're going to be covering disability, self-advocacy and decision making. First up, you'll hear part of a conversation between Heather and Lisa from the 2022 International Women's Day episode of Raising Our Voices on 3CR, a program produced and presented by people with disabilities. Heather identifies as a woman with an intellectual disability, and Lisa identifies as having an acquired brain injury. In this segment, Heather and Lisa talk about disability, discrimination, and self-advocacy. Later in the show, you'll hear an interview with Catherine McAlpine, CEO of Inclusion Australia, talking about decision-making and the Disability Royal Commission. Let's go to that conversation between Heather and Lisa now. Hi, and welcome. Today, another Raising Our Voices show on 3CR 855am. We are a self-advocacy radio show run by people with a disability about people with a disability. Nothing about us without us. Today's show is our celebration of International Women's Day. We are going to be talking about the experience of women who have a disability. I'm Lisa, and I'm joined by Heather. Hi, Heather. Hello. Heather, you're also a new member of Raising Our Voices. Could you introduce yourself as well? Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Heather. I have got an intellectual disability. I do paid work once a week and I also do volunteer work. Before we begin, I wanted to give a heads up to our listeners today. Today's chat will include some discussion about domestic violence, abuse and disability discrimination. Heather? What do you think is important for listeners to know about issues that women with intellectual disabilities might experience? From my lived experience, one of them is that I was out for a drink one night and the ambulance was called because I needed their help. While they were helping me out, my phone got stolen. I let the place know and they went over the footage saying that they saw the guy that stole my phone. They told me and the paramedics that they will let the police know. Three days later, just after getting out of hospital, I reported to the police about my stolen phone. They told me it was a bit too late to report it. I feel that the police did not take me seriously by what they said to me. When the police started looking into it, they told me that the video footage had been deleted and couldn't do anything about it. What if this was more of a serious crime? 
it is not the first time something like this has happened. I have had a few things stolen from me in the past and they haven't really taken me seriously back then either. Um, and I don't know if, I could, like, if the language can be used on radio. It was a shitty thing to have, ha- have happened. Even more than that, it was a shitty thing for the police to react like that. More than shitty, actually. And I don't know how to, how to say it more. It was in a way, I mean, even though it didn't have punches or anything like that, it was extremely violent. Yeah, um, I've actually shared this experience with a Royal Commission and also the other times when the police have not taken me seriously and the place where of when my things have been stolen from me and nothing and nothing has been done about it. And if it's someone without a disability, the police will take them more seriously because you hear it on the news all the time. So I really want to get that story out to the Royal Commission because it was really getting me down and making me very emotional. I've also been talking to a counsellor about it, which has really helped. For those listeners who have not yet heard about the Disability Royal Commission, here is some information. The Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with a Disability is happening in Australia right now. You can share your story anytime before the 31st of December this year or you can request a private phone session to share your story anytime before the 30th of June this year. For more information, visit disability.royalcommission.gov.au or call 1-800-517-199 Free of charge translators and interpreters are available. You can also get support from a disability advocacy organisation to share your story with the Disability World Commission if you need help to do this. Heather, is there anything else you want to share about this? issues that women with intellectual disability might experience? Yes, from a number of my experiences, healthcare workers should take women with a disability more seriously. I've had many times, I've had doctors just um, wave me off or say not, believe my medical history and denied the medication I was on and my medical conditions. Can I ask you something now about that in particular? How do they make that decision and absolutely ignore you or on what do they base that decision on? 
Like, because if you like to see you, you can't tell you have an intellectual disability or any other kind of disability. They do it because I have an intellectual disability. So do they know your history? Um, this I went to see a new doctor and they denied my medical history. I was telling them my medical history. And what, they called you a liar? Practically, yes. Wow. I'm so sorry. That's totally They have to get more disability awareness out there to healthcare workers because that should not be happening. No. You're right. These are educated people, so it seems, educated people. So why it's happening, I have no idea. Because of that lived experience and other lived experiences with healthcare workers, I now have to have a support worker with me to see my own doctor so he takes me more seriously. That's amazing. I'm so sorry. I'm in awe. I'm just in shock. Yeah. But my support worker thinks that um, my daughter is a bit of a rat bag. Why? Oh, because he doesn't take me seriously. He tries to get the easy way out and, yeah, he doesn't... Um, he doesn't want me to have certain tests to find out what's wrong with me, so I end up in hospital. And he's still yeah, your doctor. Hey? And he's still your doctor. Yeah. I am looking for a new doctor, though. Oh, that's good. Eliza Hull is an Australian musician who is also a woman with a disability. Eliza recently released a book about being a person with a disability called We've Got This. Heather Smith, who is with us today, has shared her story of being a mother with a disability in this book. I'm actually very happy that I put my story in that book just to let the everyone know what's happening with parents with an intellectual disability and how child protection are taking our children away because we've got an intellectual disability. And that's the reason that they give? No, they find up other reasons. That may not actually exist. Yeah. You'd think they'd have something better to do with their time. Yeah. They did it to parents who are who were Aboriginal as well. So it's it's just not fair. I'm a part of a self advocacy group. Positive, powerful parents who is run by and for P 
parents with an intellectual disability who have kept or have got their children taken away from child protection. Most of the parents have their children taken away, but there are some in our group who have kept our children. So, yeah, I won't say any names. If there's any listeners out there who are parents with an intellectual disability, you can find the Positive Powerful Parents website at positivepowerfulparents.com.au. You're listening to Women on the Line on your local community radio station with me, Priya. You just heard a conversation between Lisa and Heather, originally broadcast as part of the Raising Our Voices program on 3CR, which is produced and presented by people with disabilities. You can find out more about the show and tune in by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash raising our voices. If you wish to speak with someone about any of the issues mentioned in the interview, you can always call Lifeline on 131114. That's 131114. If you're at risk of domestic, family, or sexual violence, please call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. For counselling support or for referral to a counsellor or advocate near you, you can call the Disability Royal Commission Counselling and Referral Service on 1-800-421-468. That's 1-800-421-468. And finally, you can also contact the National Disability Abuse and Neglect Hotline on 1-800-880-052. That's 1-800-880-052. Next up, you'll hear an interview with Catherine McAlpine, CEO of Inclusion Australia, the national peak body for people with intellectual disability and their families, who joined me to discuss decision-making and the Disability Royal Commission on 3CR's Thursday Breakfast Program. We are now joined by Catherine McAlpine, CEO of Inclusion Australia, who joins us to talk about the Disability Royal Commission's recent hearing into guardianship, substituted and supported decision making, which was held from the 21st to the 25th of November. This hearing examined serious concerns regarding how the rights of people with disability to participate in decision-making are systemically undermined through the imposition of guardianship or substituted decision-making, and this is an issue that Inclusion Australia has consistently advocated against. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. And I'm really glad that we could have you on to discuss this, considering uh, that this hearing has happened so recently. So before we get into the specifics of the hearings, would you mind telling listeners a bit about what guardianship and financial administration orders are and how they tend to operate in practice? And maybe uh, go a bit as well into into where the work of public guardians and public trustees fit into this. So guardianship orders are legal orders that give a person, as you should call it a guardian, the power to make decisions on another person's behalf about their personal lives. And those things tend to be issues such as where you live, healthcare, access to services. 
administration orders give a person who's called an administrator the power to make decisions on another person's behalf about their finances and associated legal affairs. And the majority of guardianship and administrators are private. That is, their family members or people known to the person that the decisions are being made on behalf of. But there are public organisations sort of as that are supposed to be as a last resort where there is no one else to do it. And so, therefore, a public guardian or a public trustee is appointed to make decisions on another person's behalf. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important to have that background knowledge and also uh, this understanding of what it means to have something available as a last resort going into the discussion about this hearing. So the Disability Royal Commission's public hearing number 30 was held between the 21st and 25th of November, and that focused on guardianship and administration laws and policies and did pay particular attention to how substituted decision-making impacts the rights of people with disability. So can you tell us about some of the key issues that this hearing sought to investigate and why they centred those concerns? Well, they firstly, they wanted to listen to people and examine assumptions about capacity and decision-making, particularly fluctuating capacity at different times of a person's life. They wanted to look at the barriers for people with disability participating in guardianship and administration proceedings and the impact of decisions on their lives. And we heard people talk about not even knowing what guardianship was, not even knowing that an application had been made on their behalf to take their own decision-making rights away. They wanted to consider why substituted decision-making, such as guardianship and financial administration, appears not to be used as a last resort. It seems to be used more routinely when it's supposed to be a last resort. And why models of supported decision-making are not more widely used as an alternative to substitute decision-making around Australia. They wanted to look at supported decision-making models for people with disability and consider safeguards as well. Yeah, And um, I know that Inclusion Australia, given your position as a peak body, a national peak body for people with intellectual disability and their families, um, you you have specific expertise around this area. So uh, what were some of your key concerns related to this hearing, considering the specific impact that substituted decision making does have on people with intellectual disability? And um, how do current arrangements in Australia work to undermine Australia's obligations, for example, to things like the UN Convention on the rights of persons with disabilities? Yes, well, as the representative body of people with an intellectual disability and their families, we have a lot to say on this issue. The issues that we're particularly concerned about are that a guardianship is not used as a last resort, that increasingly we see pushes towards substitute decision-making. So, for example, we see people like NDIS providers pushing for people to be under guardianship so that a contract can be signed which is not a last resort, you know, a service contract can be signed, which is not an issue of last resort. We heard a story just recently about a family in South Australia who uh, were trying to make an NDIS OT appointment on behalf of their adult family member with an intellectual disability, and the receptionist wouldn't let them make the booking because they were the legal guardian. So what you have is systems pushing families and pushing people towards substitute decision-making instead of supporting their rights to make their own decision and supporting what's known as supported decision-making, where people with an intellectual disability or other perceived capacity issues have people around them to support their decision-making, but actually don't take their decision-making rights from them. 
Yeah. And actually, I was wondering if you could maybe give our listeners uh, a little more information uh, for people who might not be familiar with what supported decision making looks like in practice and, and how there's this affirmative negotiation of capacity, but also, you know, agency and dignity of people with intellectual disability. Yes, the Australian Law Reform Commission in 2014, this is one of our frustrations, in 2014 put out a paper called Towards Supported Decision-Making in Australia with four decision-making principles. And what that says is principle one is the equal right to make decisions, that all adults have an equal right to make the decisions that affect their lives. Principle two is support, and that people require support in decision-making must be provided with access to the support necessary. And that sort of support includes information in accessible formats so people can understand it, and, a dis- and people who can support people to understand the issues. So what we saw at the Royal Commission, for example, was a young man who was put under administration orders, so financial administration, who didn't know anything about it, and then was given some budget training. Whereas supported decision-making would have, approach would have said, how about giving him some budget training before you actually take his rights away? How about you support him to make good decisions around his finances before you take his rights away? Principle three is will preferences and rights. So that means that the will preference and the rights of people who may require decision-making support must direct the decisions that affect their lives. And we saw this impacted during COVID, where families who, for instance, might have been anti-vaccination, then didn't let the preferences of the people with disability who might be in a different scenario with a different risk profile not have their own will and preferences and rights uh, respected. And then the fourth principle is, is called safeguards, and that is interventions for people who may require decision-making support, including to prevent abuse and undue influence. And that is a really important role where sometimes people are put under guardianship orders to actually remove them from abusive situations. Mm, yeah, and it, and it does seem that what we've heard out of this public hearing from people uh, giving evidence of their own experiences um, and also advocacy organisations talking about people that they've worked with is that there's a lot of skewing towards automatically assuming that that principle four that you've discussed uh, needs to be put in place for people. Um, and so people's decision-making is completely usurped and their participation in making decisions about uh, issues that affect their life is sidelined so often. So what kind of things need to change at the federal and state or territory levels in terms of policy and legislation to really centre the agency, dignity and independence of people with an intellectual disability as much as possible? It's particularly state and territory uh, legislation that needs to change that since the Australian Law Reform Commission made the recommendations, only Victoria has moved. So Victoria actually has a thing called a supportive attorney and that means that a person with a disability can, or any person, but particularly a person with disability, can appoint someone that they trust into a supportive attorney role and that actually gives that person a legal right to support people at the bank or support people in in different settings. So it means that you can have someone with you to support your decision-making. The other states and territories haven't done that. And so what we see is a real inconsistency around the country. And what we see is some, for instance, in the Northern Territory, we see some certain populations, such as First Nations people with disabilities, way overrepresented in guardianship where we see particularly people who are involved in the 
you know, out-of-home care systems sort of getting shunted straight into guardianship when they turn 18 instead of being given the supports they might need to live an independent life and learn to make their own decisions. Another issue is best interests, that for children it's usually, you know, decisions have to be made in the best interests of the child, but for adults, Will preferences and rights is not actually the same as best interest because not all of us make decisions in our own best interest. You know, people take risks, people eat unhealthy things, people, you know, do things that are not great for their health. People are allowed, to, adults are allowed to make their own decisions. And one of the things that guardianship doesn't allow is for anyone to, you know, honestly sometimes have any fun, um, that, that they must make all of their decisions, you know, only the best, best decisions, which takes away freedom, you know, everyday freedoms that people take for granted. Yeah, I I think that's such an important part of this as well, because I think so many of these discussions come back to you know, those those key decisions around legal concerns and that sort of thing. But it also it also affects things like what if somebody wants to get a tattoo or a piercing, right? You know, there's all this sort of stuff that might be affirmative for people and very personal for people. But once um, decision making powers have been entirely taken away or undermined, you know, people are left with so little agency in terms of just you know, how to affirm themselves in the everyday and participate in activities that, you know, all adults participate in, in terms of risk-taking behaviour within limits. Look, Catherine, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Oh, only that it's really great to have this conversation because there's a whole lot of community attitudes in terms of the, you know, presumed capacity or presumed ability of people with intellectual disability to make their own decisions. And there's not a lot of understanding how with really good support, including being allowed to make decisions when they're young, because we all get better at making decisions by practising, are really important to the development of people with intellectual disability. So to have this sort of public conversation where we really challenge some really long-standing community attitudes is really important, and I appreciate the opportunity. Definitely, any time. And thank you so much for making the time to to talk with us about this and kind of tease out some of these concerns because I feel like for people that might not be familiar with supported versus substituted decision-making, this has been a very valuable conversation. Thank you very much. And one thing that people forget is we all get support to make decisions. We all get advice. We all talk to the people that we trust. It's something that everyone does. I think that is a fantastic note to leave it on and definitely a really important reminder for people that are engaging with some of the coverage of the hearing. So, Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. That's all we've got time for today on Women on the Line. You just heard Catherine McAlpine, CEO of Inclusion Australia, speaking about the Disability Royal Commission's recent hearing into guardianship, substituted and supported decision-making in an interview which originally aired on 3CR's Thursday Breakfast program. Earlier in the show, you heard Lisa and Heather speaking about disability discrimination and self-advocacy on 3CR's Raising Our Voices program. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender-diverse people in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on unceded Kulin Nations land. Women on the Line is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network, and this is made possible with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Our theme music is by Ripley Kabara, and past programs can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. Tune into Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station.
We'll catch you then. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.